I mean, they're all the same. God, stop making more of them. No one needs another streaming service. Looking at you, Peacock. Welcome to another episode of the MacGuffin Podcast, the weekly movie review podcast that dreams are made of. Keith Foster, San Diego, holiday season, kind of adjusted. Did you did you say it's a weekly podcast just so that it might pressure us to actually <laughs> record weekly? Hey, I'm, if, if that were the case, I'm putting just as much pressure on myself than I am you. So <laughs> uh, mostly bi-weekly, but you know, we kind of, we play it fast and loose here. Uh, you are the host, Cassidy Robinson, recording from an undisclosed location in the Rocky Mountains. Yes, it snowed today. Oh, fuck you. I don't know what that's like anymore, and I don't want to. I know. it's. I mean, luckily I work from home, so I won't have to go through the annoying process of digging out your car or like scraping windows and stuff every morning, because yeah. that is the literal worst. That is brutal. Yeah. yeah. Um, but like, I just thought I would share that. Yeah, gross. Uh, what I really wanted to bring up at the top of the show, and I mentioned this in our Marco Polo group, you showed us your new TV. Mm-hmm. You've been repainting your living room, putting everything back together. Um, I mean, what's your what's your entertainment setup? What's going on over there? What's the new TV? So I used to, I have not upgraded my TV in, since like 2008. Mm-hmm. No, no, is that right? Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, we were living together, so. Yeah, so well, it's a, a decade plus, like 12 years. Yeah. With the, with the same old TV. I, actually I was just... surprised because I visited you less than a year ago mm-hmm. and. I was like, this motherfucker is still using this old-ass 720p television. Okay, no, 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 no. No, no, no. It was 1080p. It was HD. <laughs> it was not 4K, but it was HD. Yeah. Uh, it's it's not... I mean, it still had really good picture. No, yeah, yeah. It's um, a perfectly fine television. It wasn't a smart TV or anything fancy. But. No, but I, I don't need that, because I already had all that stuff set up uh, extraneously. But I did it. I finally upgraded... Um, I got a, an LG OLED, um, so real nice. Uh, How many real... Ks? How many Ks can you go? Uh, I I think only 4K. Um, <laughs> yeah, four. I can go 4K. I know you can't see the picture from space. Ah, maybe. <laughs> I mean, it's close. The, you adjust the brightness settings just right. Um, yeah, I really like that this one in particular. Has I mean it has all this like we here? Let me just read. I'm looking at the box right now. Yes. Um, because we're still toying with the idea of taking it back and getting a bigger size. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so it's uh OLED. Um, I don't know what any of this shit means. A nine Gen three AI processor, four K. Okay. Fucking cool. I'll never use that. Uh, <laughs> Think Q Thin Thin Q AI. Uh-huh. Uh again, I don't know. Um but the thing I like the most about it is it has a filmmaker mode. 
that? which like it just it automatically like takes out the motion smoothing and right. uh like adjusts it so that it doesn't look in like uncanny valley right that's Um, they usually call it cinema mode or movie mode on a television setting well it has a cinema mode and it has a filmmaker mode and what the difference is i couldn't tell you right but i'm excited about it but all that matters and this is really what i want to get to the heart at because a lot of people buy the newest coolest television because it's the newest coolest television it's on the end cap and the guy at best buy talked you into it Mm-hmm. But they don't know what the fuck anything means. So they go home and then they watch their movies on the same settings. They're playing video games or watching sports, like the highest HD. And mm-hmm. it makes everything look like shit. Oh, yeah. Looks like complete garbage. And then you go to their house and they're watching it like that. And you say, this doesn't look right. You should change your TV settings. And then they look at you and they're like, what are you talking about? This is what it's supposed to look like. And then I'm completely gaslit. And furious, and I feel like I'm taking crazy pills that they pretend that they can't see a difference. I, so here's the thing: I think that they get used to it. I th- I think at that point they probably can't see the difference. But well, yes. then I feel sorry for their their lying eyes. So the the reason for this uh, is when the TVs are on display, yes, uh, in in the stores, they have a setting. Which is like a, it's like a motion tracking setting thing. Mm-hmm. And it is meant to be optimized for, uh, for two things. Sports, live, live sports. sports. Yeah. Um, so, it, you know, it's like the highest definition for like your footballs and your, st- and your, in your cricket, mm-hmm. uh, and stuff like that. that Ski ball. Sure. Yeah. Uh, that you're watching live, uh, esports, uh, <laughs> and, it is also optimized for like nature documentaries because like the the way the color smooths out like it, you know it looks more it's more immersive in a weird way yeah but movies and television shows are not shot to be immersive the same way as live sports or nature documentaries no um so if you've recently purchased a new TV and you want to watch a movie, you're not just watching Planet Earth right. all the time. Or television to a large extent. Yeah. Uh, in, unless it's like a live sporting event, which I get. I get yeah. the appeal of that, and that's why a lot of people buy the newest, best TVs. If you're watching movies or TV, do yourself a favor. Go into the settings. Pick up your remote right now. Uh, uh, pause this podcast if you're not in a situation where you know what... No, put in headphones. Uh, I'm gonna walk you through. I'm gonna walk you through this. Okay, pick up your remote. Hit settings. Uh, on most remotes, it looks like a little gear. It's like a circle mm-hmm. with like a little gear around it. That's the settings. Click on that. Uh, find out where it says video settings or picture settings or picture settings. Something like that. Settings. Visual. Visual settings. Mm-hmm. Go into that. Find where it says motion smoothing or motion capture or uh, something to that effect. Or mode. Mode, yeah. Yeah. Turn it off. Yes. So then this way, your viewing of Lord of the Rings doesn't look like you're watching a telenovela. Uh, Speaking of Lord of the Rings, they just released... Or they're they're about to release. I pre-ordered it. Uh, Lord of the Rings on 4K. 
mm-hmm. for the first time. Uh, Steelbooks, of course. Uh, I haven't upgraded Lord of the Rings since uh, my DVD sets. Yeah, the big ones. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I those are going to be coming probably, ne- I think, next week. I think they're coming out the first week of December. Ooh. So I think that's going to be the first 4K movie I watch. Right. And did, did you have to buy a 4K player as well? Uh, or do you the, have a PlayStation whatever? Yeah, I have the, the PlayStation uh, 4 with, yeah. I think it's the PS4 Pro. The new one that um, looks like an air conditioner? No, that's the PS5. <laughs> I, I don't buy game systems at launch. I mean, this is all other rant, but if you want content, I can go on. No, we're good. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go ahead and move on to our first actual segment. Oh, by the way, uh, this episode we're going to be reviewing the movie's Run which just premiered on Hulu. Hula. Uh, Hulu. Hula. Hula. Um, we didn't do a lot of Hulu on here, but we, we did it for this one. Yeah, it's because largely Hulu sucks, but... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't going to say it. it. It is... It's okay. not the worst. It used to be worse. Amazon Prime is the worst. Uh, I don't know. Mm, I think oh. Amazon... For movies, Amazon Prime is quite a bit better, I think. Oh, okay. This is this might have to be a whole other segment uh, <laughs> uh, where we, like... We're going to save this. Okay. Because this is a conversation we need to have. All right. Well, we're, we're reviewing Run, which just premiered on Hulu. And then for the streaming homework um, for Noir Vember... Uh, the, I think the only movie we did for Noir Vember, we are going to be reviewing uh, Blood Simple, the Coen Brothers' first film. Um, which what did we? What streaming service did we use for that? I watched it on Blu-ray. Oh, uh, HBO! And I watched it on HBO. Yes, HBO Max. Um, all right, let's go ahead and get into some of this old movie news. And I'm looking back; some of this is very old movie news. But there's some big stories here we didn't cover on the show, and I figure. Are worth bringing up. Hold on, I just lost everything. Okay, there it is. We'll start with this one here. Green Lantern, a new HBO Max series to focus on Guy Gardner, Sinestro, Alan Scott, and more. Did you read this story? Uh, I heard about it, yeah. Yeah, do you know anything more? Uh, I can give you the beats. Not really. I, I think their lineup is a little weird. Mm-hmm. Um I think I think doing a Green Lantern core as a series is smart. Yes. Um, I think HBO Max has, has done really good stuff with the other previous DC Universe exclusives. Um, fucking Doom Patrol is amazing. It's so good. Uh, uh, I've heard good things about Titans. Uh, Swamp Thing I enjoyed, but it unfortunately got canceled after the first season because it was too expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of this was like also sort of muddled in the confusion of DC launching their own app, and then it got sort of absorbed into HBO Max. And there's a whole clusterfuck there. But my point is, um, as far as original superhero TV shows go... DC's always been pretty decent at that. Um, so that's kind of been the thing, right? It's a DC has it locked down on television. Marvel's doing better on film. That yeah. was sort of the conventional wisdom. Yeah. And I mean, you know, the Arrowverse was fine on CW and stuff like that. But People liked I think, it. 
I think with, you know, a streaming service with HBO, like, again, Doom Patrol is sort of my guiding example. They can just do stuff that you can't do on CW. Like, uh, have Like special effects. (laughs) Well, I was going to say have a mansion possessed with ghosts that are all fucking, and they have to call the sex men to come and uh, take care of these sex ghosts. I don't think that's going to happen on the Green Lantern Corps show. Hey, but you never it's know. It's in space. Shit can get wild. Uh, I think the <laughs> lineup is what concerns me the most. Um, Too stacked? I love, well, I love Guy Gardner. Guy Gardner, great. Yes. Uh, Sinestro, okay, we already know they're kind of going to be building some Gotta tension have a there. Villain. Yeah. Alan Scott? So Why Alan the- Scott is the golden age Green Lantern, the blonde... Like yeah. Nazi poster child, Green Lantern with the red shirt, right? Well, and and now he don't he probably won't look like that in the new show. No, but do you think they're I'm just sure. grabbing him because it's it's not a known name that's going to drive somebody away? Kind of. I mean, so I mean, the thing about Alan Scott, and this is going deep nerd here, uh, deep state it. nerd. Um, Alan Scott was yeah, he was a golden age hero, and his ring was like a magic ring it's the same concept um but it was before any of this idea of like the green lantern core being like this interplanetary police thing existed so i I think it's i think it's kind of dumb i think if they were gonna do it they should have just like fucking gone for it and done guy gardner john stewart uh, Hal Jordan and Kyle Rayner, because that's who people want to see. Um, they, I, I will say they did include some newer Green Lanterns, which you know does add some diversity to the cast, so yeah. that's nice. Um, and a, a, I'm show, it's showing here in the article that Greg Berlanti is going to be the producer, and there was also another article that came out that said that the the series may feature the Dominators as the villains. I don't, I don't know, know what that means. Yeah, I thought I maybe you would. Okay. I mean, I here's the thing. I think overall, I'm I'm optimistic because I think DC basically knows what they're doing when it comes to TV, and I think Green Lantern can be really cool as like a sci-fi police procedural. So I think if they if they stick to that formula, it'll work. Um, you know, what, nerd continuity aside, I think. If they stick with that formula, it, it they've got a, a solid... they foundation. got a thing going, yeah. Yeah. And Green Lantern's one of those characters, which you can't say about every single comic book character, but he is one of those characters where the lore is almost more interesting than the character itself. Yeah. Um, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be that way, but it seems that has been the way for a long time. I think even the comic books have kind of been more expansive in the world building and stuff than they had been previously where he's less of a superhero title where he's just a green superman with a ring and now it's more like in this intergalactic space cop kind of stuff and people like to see those side characters kilowog and guy gardner and stuff and Um, they and they can always i mean they can always leave the door open to introduce hal jordan you know yeah that that'd be a good cliffhanger and then they can set up some like Obviously, Sinestro, I guess, well, spoilers, maybe. I don't know. 
Uh, in the comics, he starts as Green Lantern and eventually becomes sort of a nemesis. Right. Uh, I mean, if you've seen the one movie that they made, the Ryan Reynolds one, then that's yeah, you kind of know plot, what's going on so. there. Um, yeah, that's like yes. that's like introducing Lex Luthor and being like, I wonder if he's going to go bad at some point. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Smallville did that kind of. Yeah, uh, but yeah, I I think. You know, they can build up to some pretty cool season arcs with that. So I I think this, I think the foundation's there. It'll probably be worth checking out. And if you haven't, watch fucking Doom Patrol. So good. All right. All right, I haven't. Um, How does this one hit your ear holes? Moon Knight. Oscar Isaac tapped to star in Marvel and Disney Plus series. Is that confirmed? 100%. Well, this I, article came out a month ago. So. Yeah. I, I heard the news that they're like, Marvel is kind of courting him, but yeah, I know there's some kind of bad blood between him and Disney after the whole Star Wars fiasco. Mm-hmm. If true, this is huge. Huge? Uh, this is huge. I mean, Oscar Isaac is, is A-list. Well, right. Moon Moon Knight as a hero is like not A list. He's like C list, but right. in the funnest possible way. Describe um, Moon Knight for the plebs. Uh, so Moon Knight, he started out as kind of the Marvel Universe equivalent of Batman, um, except weirder, way weirder. So he, <laughs> yeah, there's he, like Egyptian stuff. Going yeah. On. So, well. Yeah, and that's that's a big part of the the story about the series is um so he is tapped by the uh Egyptian god Khonshu to become his avatar to become the fist of Khonshu. And his whole thing is he protects tr- uh those traveling at night. That is his like elevator pitch. The superhero who protects travelers at night. And so he, thus he is Moon Knight. Very um, specific. Yeah, and when when he's written poorly, he's he's really just a generic like Batman knockoff, like you know, uh, but you know, white cape jumps from buildings, um, has wears a, moon, a hood. Yeah, yeah, has a moon copter. Uh, <laughs> by day, he's a billionaire playboy thing. Now, uh. Marvel kind of picked up that that, that he was kind of a pretty two dimensional ripoff. Uh, I I think around the nineties or so, and that was when they were like, "No, we're gonna make him crazy, like straight up schizophrenic." Um, uh, is constantly questioning his own reality. Is he even actually a superhero or a fucking serial killer? Mm-hmm. Uh. So when he's written well, there's a lot of interesting dynamics. He's he can he can be sort of the Patrick Bateman of superheroes. Uh and some of the best runs I've read kind of play with that. Like there's a run where he thinks he's Wolverine, Captain America and Spider-Man and like the way he fights crime kind of shifts between who he thinks he is. It's very weird. Um, it gets wild. Uh, n- needless to say, I am very excited that they picked such an obscure character to do a show about. Uh, and again, Oscar Isaac is a huge actor to play him. 
Uh, and I think he's got the acting chops to, if they do go this route with some of like the mental illness and stuff, he can, he can add a lot of depth to that. There. I guess this is the last story. Johnny Depp has been fired officially from the Fantastic Beast franchise as the character Grindelwald, and they have hired Mads Mikkelsen to replace him. Now, we've talked a decent amount about these movies, considering mm-hmm. they're so ephemeral and boring. I don't know why we talk about them as much as we do. Um, but what do you, I mean, I think you're probably happy about this choice, right? Uh, I have a couple thoughts. Uh, yeah, I'm happy to not have to just deal with Johnny Depp right now. Yeah. Um, I, I think the circumstance behind it are a little weird because I know there's this whole thing with him and Amber Heard and so that, uh, yeah, I, I just, he is such an actor with so much baggage right now that I just like. I, it's nice to have a mental break from just even having to deal. Mm. And, uh, you know, just and I think the world is burnt out on Johnny Depp. My other thought is, who fucking cares about Fantastic Beasts at this point? Are they even happening? Right. Uh, I, I feel like, sure, Mads Mikkelsen is, he's a good actor. Um, is it the best use of his time? Probably not. No, and, you know, we... Also saw him in a pretty unforgiving role in Doctor Strange. I have a feeling it's just going to be kind of that. Um, Oh, right. Well, I mean, I'll say this about the Fantastic Beast. I do think that the character of Grindelwald has more dimension than weird crackle face guy from, from Doctor Strange. Caselius. Yes. It, yeah, and I mean I they think, are they're obviously setting the character up to have a bit of an emotional arc with um uh uh Dumbledore and stuff. Um, right. So there's places to go with the character that I think calls for some acting. Um I just don't care about this universe. I don't care about the series, the really boring movies. Maybe they pull it through in this last one and they they stick the landing somehow or change something up. Is this the last up. one? Because well, last or however were... many they want to split it up into. Yeah, I heard they were doing like five of these motherfuckers at one point. And, Christ. And that is... I think the first one is still fine. It's watchable, at least. Oh. Um, it's not like... I don't think it captures the lightning in a bottle that was Harry Potter, but... Right. It's acceptable. Um, the second one is such filler trash that if if they're still planning on doing five of these i just don't care i cannot handle that many more Um, this could end up being like the divergent series or whatever where like the last two had to come out direct to streaming or something because people just didn't give a fuck anymore yeah i think i still think the wizarding world despite johnny depp despite uh jk rowling I think it has... There's enough, a built-in fan base for it. Yeah, yeah, I think it has enough clout that it will always make money. Um, I just don't... I don't care. Um, yeah. Sure. I I would have actually liked to them to just bring Colin Farrell back. I think it would make sense because right. he already was Colin Farrell at one point. I don't... 
even remember right. how that happened. He was just like, I'm a different guy now. Yeah. Uh, and they could be like, oh, shit, there's this irreversible spell. My face is turned back to Colin Farrell. Yeah. Now I'm back <laughs> to the old guy. Because uh, I just, I thought Colin Farrell did a lot more with what he had. Yeah. Um, but again, it's truly who cares? Absolutely nobody. So I, I almost feel like it. these movies are going to be more like the Avatar movies and they're just like never going to come out. I mean, maybe, I mean, we might, we might be eating our shoe, uh, when Avatar 2 eventually comes out in 2035 and, uh, everybody is, no, and everybody cares and it ends up blowing our minds and it sweeps everything and James Cameron, you know, who has preserved himself some sort of robot suit uh, by that point starts laughing at everybody because we all thought he was crazy for spending 19,000 years on these avatar sequels that nobody wants. No. no, no, no. <laughs> what's going to ha- what's going to happen is they're going to do fine, but everybody's going to be like, sure, Please. avatar. <laughs> I mean, whatever. 3D. Remember that? Yeah. Yeah. The the time for those movies was 12 years ago. Right. It had maybe a window of opportunity to cash in on the hype. Maybe a, a five-year turnaround on that. When did the first one fucking come 2009. out? 2009. Fuck you. <laughs> They're really expecting us to give a fuck about an 11-year-old movie that isn't a franchise that they're trying. They're like, we promise it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We we have the scripts. We have all. All I know is fucking Kate Hudson's underwater right. ballet picture, and they're shooting him simultaneously. So like they're they're shooting like all the stuff for parts two and three at the same time. And I remember when I was in L.A., uh, I somebody came through my line at the, the store I was working, and he was at that time two years ago, two maybe longer than that, was working on them. And he looked miserable. And um, and then there was all these stories about how, like, it was, like, the worst job in the world right now is to be working on Avatar sequels. Because <laughs> James Cameron is this? crazy. This was probably 2018 or something. Jesus Christ. All right. No one cares. <laughs> well, that's some movie news. Let's go ahead now and uh, start talking about the movies that we are reviewing this week. And I'll let you set up a run that just premiered on Hulu over the weekend. Run is about Kara Allen is this homeschooled kid. She's getting ready for college. She's getting ready to move out. She was a premature birth and she has a, a lot of medical issues like asthma, and she's paralyzed from the waist down. Diabetic. Um, diabetic. Yeah. Uh, and a condition where she gets, like, skin rashes. Just, like, because of her premature birth, she was born with all these medical issues that she's had to overcome. And she's at the age where she's applying for colleges and, and stuff. And then something happens, and she starts to suspect that her mother, played by Sarah Paulson is being less than honest and forthcoming uh, about everything going on in their lives. Yes. And she's raising the daughter by herself, single mother style. Yeah. um, And is 
very, very um, involved in her medical regimen, her pills, and making sure that she's taken care of and, and that she's mm. doing everything the way that she's supposed to be doing it. Yeah. And have yeah. direct contact uh. with all of her doctors, blah, blah, blah. And I, I don't think this, I don't, I haven't seen a trailer for this because what are trailers anymore? But yeah. uh, I would imagine that the inciting incident that really kind of like sets this thriller off is that she sees in a grocery bag uh, a new pill that has been issued to her under her mother's name. But then later she when she's given the pill, there's a new label on it, a sticky label with her name on it. And she doesn't know what she's taking or if she even should be taking it. And that's what kind of starts pulling the thread at this tapestry of deceit uh, that's been, uh, you know, unraveling throughout their lives. Yeah. Kind of a mother-daughter thing, a very strange kind of mother-daughter thriller. I'm going to, I'm going to, I think I'm going to be the first one to coin the term toxic femininity. (laughs) (laughs) Did somebody in the background just boo you? (laughs) <laughs> i think i thought i heard your wife boo you from the no, background no that's just the listeners that you're, you're hearing uh you're hearing them through the recording right in from the future, future. yes um, <laughs> yeah so this is a little bit of mommy dearest uh meets misery as done as like a medical thriller um, there's also uh i mean there's also kind of some there's some hitchcockian elements absolutely some uh, rear window vibes going on, yeah. um, uh, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, it's they're pulling from a lot of uh, thriller material. Yes, yeah. And the director who made this is his name is Anish Chagnati. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Uh, he did the film uh, Searching, which was well liked. Oh, okay. When it came yeah, out, I didn't see another I... low budget thriller, mm-hmm. and. Yeah, this I think uh, I hadn't seen Searching. I know I should, but I haven't seen it. But judging from what I've heard from this and this film that I have seen, I think he makes good use of his good economy with both the runtime and his storytelling and his budget. He knows how to pull the strings and he knows yes. how to get you involved in the drama and kind of keep you guessing uh, but the but the it never seems to like uh, bite off more than it can can chew. It never the because this does seem fairly low budget. Um, yeah, but, but I never but feel like I see the scenes. It. No, it, it's it's a very competent low budget. Like it 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 doesn't feel like a, a lot of the choices that like the script makes and stuff. It it feels intentional. It doesn't feel like oh we got to keep this all in one house because right. That's cheaper. It's like that's just what the story. That's just is. how this particular yeah story goes. Um, yeah. So I I think I think this director is really good at setting up scenes of tension. Yeah. Um. And 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 getting the audience on edge. And and uh, for the most part, we're living inside the main character's head. This young girl. Mm-hmm. Um. And I think he does a really good job, kind of in that Hitchcockian way of like shooting things through perspective not like a super obvious first person perspective i mean maybe sometimes mm-hmm. but um but that you 
you're sort of trying to figure things out with the character as the movie goes. And you, you understand, like, why she's doing things she's doing and the steps she's taking. Um, yes. I mean, did, did all of that work for you in the same way? Basically, uh, yeah, it, it basically... This isn't a perfect film, and I'll get to why I don't think it is, but I'll let you yes. say things. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that, that he did a really good job of, like, setting the tone, setting the stakes, setting the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think he also did a really good job of, like... I think it's easier for me to talk about the things that fall short in this movie um, because I think it does a lot right. It's shot really well. It looks really good. And it it feels like the type of movie it's supposed to feel like. It, right. it, it feels sufficiently taut. And, and um, yeah, my problem with the movie is sometimes uh, the scenarios get a little convoluted and a little unbelievable. I agree with you on unbelievable, but I actually don't think it's, I was never lost at any point or thought that there was not too many steps to something. Not well. Okay. Uh, not, I was not, it's not that I was lost. It's that like some of the setups are like, Oh, okay. That is, that is wild. How we got here. (laughs) I'm, I'm specifically talking about the pharmacy scene. Um, See, I didn't think that that was crazy. Mm. I thought... I I think her plan was okay, I guess. Um, It made sense that, you know, uh, there's a pharmacy near the movie theater to be able to have access to the pharmacy. Because, remember, she can't walk. She can't do anything. So, she's... (laughs) I mean, that's... The, whoa! I didn't mean it that way. Whoa. I didn't mean okay. it that way. All right, all right. But well, uh-huh. actually, I will say one thing that's uh, kind of interesting about the film, about sort of the way they they sort of slowly reveal these characters, specifically Sarah Paulson, um, who yeah. seems normal enough at the beginning. Uh, but you you do that's see that's another issue I had with the movie. You th- at anyway. one point she uh, the daughter is talking about like oh and she she. She's like into science and she's into fixing stuff or whatever, which plays into, you know, later scenes. Um, yeah, yeah. She's homeschooled and and she almost is, she almost becomes too smart for her own good. Right. She's very, she's very bright um, and she's good at figuring things out. Uh, and then her mother says something to the effect of like, well, did, how did you blah, 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 blah. And she said, oh, I figured it out. Said it would have been easier if I have an iPhone. And I'm thinking in my head, like, you're 17 years old and you don't have a smartphone? That's, like, the first red flag. Uh, are you talking... Okay, so some of that is also, like... I mean... I meant as far as how they're revealing the character. I, I actually yeah. I thought that that was done... That was a good little subtle, like, touch. Like, oh, okay, there's there's more maintenance of her of her uh access to information yes then yes. and and i think uh yeah i think they do a pretty good job with that and i think that they um that that all feels believable and and it's one of those things where once the character uh you mentioned tapestry once the character starts kind of pulling at these loose strings yeah um it, it, she it seems that 
oh, well, you know, well, that might just be a random thing, but they start connecting in weird ways. And, right. and I think it's nice that the character is very smart and able to put these things together uh, in a way that's not overly written, I guess. Yeah. It, most most of her, like, investiv- investigatory phase feels pretty believable. Yes. I'm talking about when she's in the pharmacy and... Uh, there's kind of a funny moment where she's like, get out of the way. I'm, I'm in a wheelchair. Feel bad for me. Uh, <laughs> right. Which I was like, sure. Uh, but then she's talking to this pharmacist yeah. who is revealing way more than a pharmacist ever would. And trust me, I'm married to one. I know. Uh, she would have absolutely hated this scene as well. I'm sure. Um, uh, it's a movie scene. It's very movie scene. And also... It bothers me because all these people she just cut in front of in line are literally just standing there sort of watching this all happen. Yeah, in, in and a it's shot. Just, yeah. It feels very set up and it feels it starts to feel very fake. No, I agree with you. I, I I once I I thought I thought you meant the entire plan of like how she would because no, 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 first no, the, she the, tries to the, call somebody and that doesn't work and then she yeah. tries to uh, get it, access to the internet at home and it shut off. So it makes sense that she would go to that length. And I thought that the plan was actually pretty clever. Like, oh, uh, I have to go use the bathroom and then she's going to wheel herself to the pharmacy next door. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah, all yeah, made yeah, sense. I but yes, I the thing for me specifically where I was like, okay, this is this is getting goof. This is getting goof troop mm-hmm. is when the uh, the pharmacist, she like looks over at some picture or something of her being like the winner of some like role playing game yes, or, yes. or escape like, room well, or that's something. Convenient. And she's like, this is a game. I'm doing a game. And she's like, oh, I love games. It's like, oh, okay, this is <laughs> we're, we're getting into yeah, some this, lifetime movie territory. This was the writer was in a hole yeah. and didn't know how to. How to yeah. But I mean, it, it, that spe- that specific thing never really comes to fruition. Exactly, which like why why go down this weird? Maybe it's like a quirky Hitchcock side character kind of thing, like just a funny part for the sake of a funny part. Well, but it, it I'm, does I'm come off com- as silly. Yeah, and unbelievable. Yeah. Like that's the thing is silly is fine, but when this movie is up to this point fairly believable, uh, and also contrast this. So this also this movie is also a pretty small cast. It's um, basically just these two, um, this pharmacist, uh, the, and then there's a mailman that comes into it. If if you compare the pharmacist to the mailman, those scenes to me were night and day different because I'm like, thank fucking god this mailman's not a piece of shit. Yeah, he's doing everything right. He's actually behaving in in the proper way. And so to me. That just made that contrast even more night and day of like, we have a character who's actually behaving rationally versus this one that feels like they're in a different movie. Right. Who feels like a, an NPC in a video game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, I, I understand. But, uh, but you know, for the most part, I, that, I didn't really start feeling the, the lifetime moviness of it. Until uh, we get to the denouement um, and, mm. you know, the, the characters, you know, come to loggerheads and it everything is on the table and everything's revealed. And the way that those things are revealed 
there's some stuff. I mean, she like, basically ends up in a room where just the evidence of everything is strewn about in a perfect narrative way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There and and also like in a way that is like like that is the last per- place you would want that character to be. Right. So why on earth would you do that? Yeah, I I agree that there's some stuff in this movie that is just like. A little too convenient for me to just ignore. No, right. Especially because you're dealing with a thriller where the entire point of the movie is to hold tension. So anything mm-hmm. that, you know, laxes that tension is doing a disservice to the tone, um, even if it's just for the sake of revealing information. Uh, now, even with that said, I had fun with it. I think it's kind of like it's pulpy. And sometimes a little campy. Uh, I think Sarah Paulson knows how to like, she knows that kind of that um, Piper Laurie in Carrie kind well, of tight I mean, wire where you're scary, but also kind of hilarious. If you look at it from a satirical lens at the same time, when you've been working with Ryan Murphy for decades, that yeah, makes it's sense. hard to wash off the camp. Yeah. Uh, I, with that being said, I think she's great. No, she's like, perfect. I, I don't mean that as a derogatory at all. No. It, yeah. She's She is having tons of fun. She chews up the scenery in the way that Sarah Paulson does. She loves to, you know, play creepy and stuff like that. It sometimes is a a bit of, a, like I said, mommy dearest. You know, it, it, it yeah. gets to the no wire hangers kind of moment sometimes. Um, mm-hmm. But... I'm perfectly fine with that. I had fun with that. And I think she kn- yeah. she knows what she's doing. Well, also, like, that's, I mean, that's kind of what what we want from this movie. Right. Like, we, we want that stuff. Um, you know, I, I... I agree. And then, um, I think for me, what would have made the movie a little better, and I rarely say this about a movie, I think it could have been longer. I think some of these reveals happen pretty fast. Yeah, um, there, there was a moment where I literally, like, I think I said out loud to myself, the fucking Ron Burgundy, like, well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it, it, things kind of, the, the dominoes start falling really fast. And I like efficiency in movies, and I like to get in and get out, um, especially on something like this. And... The, the threat of of making it longer than it needs to be is again you can you can sag that tension but I think there's some things like in her journey of discovery maybe learning more Especially, about the mother maybe getting more perspective from the mother things like that that actually I think could have turned this from a fun pulpy B movie into possibly something a little better than that I agree I think um I also think, you know, when you have a character that is investigating, you know, their mother, when they're they're starting to think, well, maybe my mom isn't exactly the protector I thought she was. Like, I feel like this daughter kind of jumps to some pretty dramatic conclusions pretty quickly. I mean, granted, they're, you know, it's justifiable, but I would have liked to see a little more back and forth with that. Yeah. Because, like, once she kind of gets it in her head, like, oh, my mom is is fucking with me, um, she kind of, there's never any kind of convincing her back. There, Like, she kind of, it, it, it's just sort of always like, 
oh, okay, it just keeps sort of progressing. And I think they could have played that cat and mouse game a little bit longer. And, right. And p- they could have done possibly, the she doesn't know that I know that she doesn't know kind of thing. Yeah. and, and Like where they both possibly, are kind of testing each other and seeing like exactly. how much the I other want, one's I, figured out. I wanted a little bit more of that because, uh, again, this is your this is your mom and or this is your daughter. Like, yeah, you're gonna want to tread lightly. You're gonna want to try and preserve that relationship if possible. So I yeah. I would have liked to uh, yeah a little bit more cat and mouse. And I also think that maybe they could have revealed some clues to the. Uh, to the ending a little more naturally that way. Yeah. If they had just like given it a little more space to breathe. Yeah, I agree. That's like I said, this, I rarely say a movie could use 20 more minutes, but I feel like this one could. I don't even know if it's necessarily runtime so much as just like, like just, just take your time for a second, you know, like I, I don't know. I well, mean, yes, I, runtime is, is obviously a way you can do that. But yeah. But I also think, you know, there's there's enough ramping up of the tension that they could have they could have easily fit in a little bit of of uh, playing around with that. Well, I think that the movie that we got is more focused on the set pieces than it is necessarily on the storytelling, which is fine. I think the storytelling is basically it's there in the performances and mm. it comes through naturally based upon the setup. But I think, you know, it's basic. The construction of the story is essentially connecting these larger set pieces of her mm. trying to escape or her trying to figure it out or whatever. And it's more about that's the the feel of the movie. In fact, before I looked to see who directed this, I thought that it was the guy who made um, what was that movie? Started with a C about the people in the fast food restaurant who keep getting the creepy caller who tells them to do terrible things to each other. It was like kind of based on a true story. What the fuck are you talking about? (laughs) I saw it a long time ago. I have no clue. I'm just going to. I can't look it up. It's going to take too long. So I'll just skip that. But I thought it was that guy Um, because it had a similar vibe. But. Uh, yeah, basically this movie's fine. If you're watching it, if you have Hulu and you turn it on and you want to watch it, you're going to, it's, it's not too scary. It's not too gory. It's, it's not like a horror hound kind of movie. It's a kind of a, a pretty efficient little thriller. It's kind of silly. It, it gets, it gets a little goofy sometimes. It's, um, and maybe it knows that I think. I think that is something that the movie's going for sometimes, maybe to the movie's detriment every now and then. I think the uh, the coda at the end is especially dumb. Um, yeah, I that's why I was I didn't I didn't really love much about the ending. Yeah, um, yeah, uh, kind kind of the whole climax I wasn't crazy about to be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the it, yeah the coda at the ending I was like okay. Uh, I don't know. I yeah. I didn't really care for that. That that was when it was like full on resigned to be a B lifetime pulp. Yeah. Uh, but here's the thing. I think that, like you said, there's nothing wrong with that if you're going to do it well. And I think they do do that well. 
uh, you know, this is still going to be way more entertaining and way more watchable than the average Lifetime movie. Yeah, and it's it's made much better too. It looks better. Exactly. The 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 set pieces are more uh more intensely designed. Exactly. Yeah. It just it just works better than that type of thing. So I think if you're the type of person who loves that sort of setup, uh, you know, then this is this is great. And I think I think the premise is solid. I think the premise is really good. Even though I kind of figured out the ending within right. the first. 15 minutes so don't don't overthink it i guess right i guess yeah that's my advice for this movie don't overthink it you know we're all still trapped at home we're all still kind of desperate for content so yeah. you could spend a lot worse ways to to spend an hour and a half right this is kind of babby's first hitchcock and yeah that's fine um it it works for what it is it's good enough that I'd be interested to going back and watching Searching and seeing other movies by this director. Yeah, totally. I think it is it is well within like a decent genre thriller. Like it right. is I, I liked it more than What Lies Beneath. Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying that's kind of the same uh, not not the same premise but same um, the same market. Yeah. Yeah. And we watched it recently. Don't act like I'm crazy. <laughs> and the other movie I was thinking of was it was called Compliance. It came out in 2012, and it has the guy who plays the mailman plays the creepy caller in Compliance. So I thought, oh, maybe oh. it's the same guy because it's kind of a similar I, style movie. I just really loved that mailman. I <laughs> I would like, even though it's pulpy and and silly at times, uh, all the characters are smart. I like that they're not. You know, there's st stuff that happens conveniently, but they're all they're all savvy. They're none nobody's doing stuff just because it's you know totally convenient. Right. So I liked I liked that. Aside from the fucking pharmacist, <laughs> and I think Kiara Allen, who you know a lot of this movie really hangs on her performance, yeah, does a great. really really good job. And she, she, even though she's in a pulpy kind of silly movie, she internalizes the character. You really totally. feel for her, even though sometimes Sarah Paulson's doing sort of a drag performance sometimes. Um, <laughs> she still like it is, you know, it's kind of a not maybe not quite as uh, groundbreaking, but it does remind me a little bit of the Piper Laurie and uh, Sissy Spacek dynamic in Carrie. Um, sure. Without yeah, as without the, the hysterics. Totally, yeah. yeah. I I think, um, yeah, I think the the main actress, uh, I think she's great. I think, um, I guess also like something I wanted to see a little bit more was I I thought it was nice to have the main character have all of these, um, I, I guess disabilities is the best word, mm -hmm. um, but still be uh, a very capable protagonist, yeah. And I, I, I think that's what bothered me about the ending, uh, was because ultimately that kind of didn't matter. Um, and that's what frustrated me is like the ending is just kind of like, okay, right now we're just like going to wrap stuff up. And, yeah. I, and I didn't like that. I wanted her to, I wanted her to, to finish strong and, and like ultimately outsmart the mom and like, you know, I just, I wanted the ending to be very different than what we got, but it's fine. Yeah. 
Um, okay, still in the thriller mode. Let's go ahead and start talking well, about... Well, 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 what, what do you give Run? Oh, letter grading, grade. grading letter gear, grade. Um, hmm, probably a B minus. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this is firmly in the B minus camp. Yeah, I mean, uh, there's some movies I would call B minus, and that's, like, maybe not the best endorsement here. I'm actually saying it's worth seeing, but know what you're getting into. Yeah. No, I, I thought that was clear. Yeah. All right, cool. Let's go ahead and talk about Blood Simple. This is the first film by the Coen brothers. Uh, this came out in 1984, uh, independently produced, uh, made, again, very, very low budget. And one of the first, I want to say, if not the first, film performance by Frances McDormand. Um, and, the, of course, this is how she met um, Joel Cohen, I think, is the one she's married to. Oh, I didn't know she was married to one of them. Yes, that's why she's in, like, half their movies. I just thought it was because she's fucking fantastic and everything. And she's great, yes. And at the time <laughs> that she filmed this, she was living with Holly Hunter, who would later be in Raising Arizona, the next movie. Uh, who has a small cameo in this? Holly Hunter? Yeah, she's like a voice on the phone or something. Like oh, okay. It's very, it's, bl- <laughs> it's blink and you miss it, but like... Holly Hunter's voice is so recognizable that I was like, oh, that's fun. Because this is another thriller in which there's not a very big cast. Um, I mean, the the cast that we have, everybody is kind of a piece on a chessboard. They're very important where they are. Um, But it is, you know, kind kind of in a way, it's as if this is a rural noir in the way that uh, the Coen brothers like to do. Um, It's very... In the same wheelhouse is things like No Country for Old Men and even Fargo to a certain extent. Um, yeah, it's it's a little. Uh, it's more their darker fare. Yes, um, uh, it's it. I I think the Coens, um, since the Bod himself, uh, can very distinctly like they either do comedy or tragedy. Yes, and I think that's really fucking cool. I actually love that about them. Yes, and and their comedies have. Uh, sometimes a morose, darker edge to them, and their their tragedies or their thrillers, um, sometimes have a kind of a biting sense of humor. So yeah, I'm just I'm just saying tragedy, not in the sense of of they always end poorly, just but like the sense that like they tonally they are di- very different from their comedy. Right. I mean, comparing this to Raising Arizona, for example. Yeah. Yes. Um which I all I recently watched uh rewatched Raising Arizona earlier this year and that is such a fucking fun movie. It is. It's great. So yes, uh this movie stars Francis McDormand and John Getz. But uh Francis McDormand and John Getz uh play a couple. She's uh cheating on her husband played by Dan Hedea, um who runs a uh cowboy bar. It's kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and he suspects that she's cheating on him, uh, and he hires a private investigator, uh, played by M. Emmett Walsh to get some photos and, uh, 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 confirm whether or not that, that, um, the man that works at a bar is cheating on his wife with him. Um, when that's revealed that that is in fact what's happening, things get a little bit more complicated and 
Dan Hedaya actually pays M.M. Walsh who, to uh, do a do a hit. Um, and to rub him out. Yeah. And uh, the problem with the situation, um, as there always is in these type of films, is that M.M. Uh, Walsh is not on the level. And he's not necessarily yeah. the guy you want to hire to be doing any of this shady shit. Um, because you're not going to find a character in motion pictures that's sleazier than this dude. Yeah. Uh, he is so fucking good, though. He's oh fan-fucking-tastic. He just... I, this is going to be a little bit of a gush specifically about him. Yeah. Because I was just like, oh, fuck. Okay, this was when character acting was invented. Like, <laughs> holy shit. He just adds so much to every fucking minute he's in the film. Right. That I was just like, yeah, goddamn. Like, you know immediately who this character is. Yeah. And he You can smell him home. off the screen. Yes. And he's <laughs> both hilarious and terrifying at the same yeah. time. He just seems and completely I, amoral. And oh, I, I also, I think, and, and I don't know, maybe, maybe I'm reading into things because I know, you know, I, I've watched a lot of the Coen's other movies, Yeah, but he also seems like kind of the first, uh, prototype for the Coen brother devil character. Absolutely. Um, cause you know, yes. he's, he, he, you make a deal with him and you're gonna regret it. There's a Faustian uh, element to the character in the way that in raising Arizona, it's the, it's the motorcycle guy, um, yeah. In uh, Fargo, it, it's the Russian, and um, in uh, No Country, Barton, Barton Fink, it's um, John, John Goodman. Goodman. Right? Yeah, I mean sometimes yeah. it's a lot more obvious than others. Like this one would be much more of a subtle kind of thing. But yes, that has been a running theme. I wrote a paper all about it. <laughs> oh, okay. yeah, yeah. Well, I guess read that if you can, audience. You can't, but <laughs> <laughs> but I, I use uh, that yeah. to get into film school. Uh yes, M. Emmett Walsh is great. Um, and I mean the whole the whole cast is good. Yeah. Um, I mean some uh, of them are uh a little less seasoned than others at this point. This, like I said, this is one of Frances McDormand's first film roles. She was mostly a theater person, but at this point, um, and uh, Dan Hedaya, another great character actor. He shows up in everything and always oh knocks it out of the park. He only has and a you, few scenes in this film, but you really get a feel for what he's all about. He seems out of place, too, because he's, like, clearly an East Coast dude in the middle of Texas. Well, and he seems so much older than Francis McDormand. So, that, yeah. I, I guess uh, my criticism of this movie, and I don't, I don't know if criticism is a good word, um, but while I w I'll just tell you the journey I went on. Um, while I was watching it, it takes you a little while to kind of figure out who everybody is and who everybody is to each other. Yeah. Um, uh, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Um, uh, I, I just, I felt like the first, you know, maybe ten minutes. 10, 15 minutes, it, it kind of kept me at arm's length until sort of stuff started happening. Right. Um, cause I just, I didn't, they don't really introduce you to these characters. Uh, it just is sort of stuff starts happening. Right. Um, uh, but when stuff, stuff starts happening, I will say 
there's a lot of really fun twists that I didn't expect in this movie. There was shit that I was like, oh, fuck, did that just happen? And then... (laughs) Uh, and then something happens, but it's not what you think happened. And then it uh, it's just sort of like, what's the worst possible thing that could happen in every sort of version of this scenario? Yeah, that's sort of the tragic comedy of the, of the film is that it's this dark noir where everyone's paranoid and out to get each other and nobody trusts anybody. And... Mm-hmm everybody sort of face plants every single step they try to make with the exception of Francis McDormand, who only accidentally succeeds and, (laughs) and and only sort of, uh, and isn't even really the main character of this movie. Like she kind of is, but I, I think this is more of, um, uh, I mean, John gets is more the, the sort of uh, driving force for the story, right? If the yeah, he's sort of the entry point into it. If there is, I would say, if there is a criticism of the film, maybe it's that is that the movie never really has a center of consciousness. I mean, actually, the movie I, opens I, with MMM Walsh's uh, voiceover, which I guess was actually I watched the special features after I watched the movie. Mm. I guess that was actually recorded after the fact, like that wasn't originally in the oh, screenplay, and they actually had him come and just record a couple lines. He had no idea what the context was. He just read it into a microphone and left, and then it ends up becoming like this, you know, staple of their cinema. Um, yeah, yeah. I I actually I don't think that's. I I actually liked that it sort of shifts, floats around. It's almost like vignettes in a weird way. Like it's very Shakespearean. It, like, uh, it, it, it yeah, it, it kind of feels God's eye point of view on on the film. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I I would say though, I, I guess my criticism is more that I think they could have done a little bit more. Um, I I feel like. Uh, Francis McDormand's character is sort of the least developed and and least written. Not that it's a bad part, and yeah. um, you know she's certainly uh, even at this point a good enough actress to to sort of make up for that. Yeah, she but, infuses as much into it as as much character into it as possible. But I would think it would be fair to say at this point they had not completely figured out how to write women. Yeah, yeah, I I think that's fair. Um, yeah. But, I mean, overall, I thought this was a fucking cool movie. Yeah. Uh, it <laughs> um, looks really cool, especially, like, it's low. Oh, my God. It's yes. it's low budget, but uh, this was shot by Barry Sonnenfeld, who would later be a director in his own right. But um, he shot their first couple movies, and there's this a very aggressive shooting style throughout the film. Yes. It is just like so rich in style immediately. Like I can see how someone would, would see this movie and be like, who the fuck are these guys? Like, uh, cause just some of the camera work is, I mean, when did this come out? 84. And at this point, um, the Coen brothers and, uh, and Sam Raimi were very closely involved with each other's work. That makes sense. Um, they were they were very good <laughs> There's friends. There's some Sam Raimi moments, right? In this. Exactly. And uh, there, I mean this this is a it's a it's a thriller. It's a kind of a Hitchcocky thing. It's also a film noir. It's also a little bit of a horror film. 
when it, it wants uh, to the be. The ending, yeah, yeah, the, it, it has a very uh, uh, kind of slashery moment. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think it. I mean, it's sort of the elevated version of that, but yeah, I think that this the, the style of the film is really what sells it. I mean, it's it's very oh, yeah. dark, um, and again, really knows how to use its budget. Very dark, but also with these pops of like these neon colors occasionally. Right. Like, this movie is just like, especially for the time, dripping in style. Yeah. Uh, like the the way they introduce the bartender mm-hmm. is just like a long tracking shot of uh Quentin Tarantino foot fetish moment. <laughs> right, like, right, right. Uh, is really well done. The the cool like insane zoom in on the lawn like there are just some really cool shots in this movie yeah uh, the, all the stuff with the car right Holy all the fuck. driving sequences all the, fr- the 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 night drives and the freeway stuff yeah there's like dripping some, in some atmosphere david lynch uh i think i feeling moments there's mm-hmm. some like yeah just really fucking cool and that's the thing it's i'm always impressed because i when i was going through the Coen brothers work. I always kind of like put this one off for a while. Mm-hmm. Cause I was like, ah, oh, it's their first movie. I mean, how good could it be really? You know, like it's probably going to be kind of, kind of janky or whatever. So I always meant to like see it, but I didn't see it until well after I'd seen plenty of their other movies. And then mm-hmm. when I saw it, I was like, holy shit, they had their thing locked down almost from the jump. Yeah. Like this is better than some of the ones that come after this. Oh, totally. I, I, I mean, it's as we talked about, it's definitely better than uh, the Lady Killers, right? And I, it, uh, yeah, I would say, I mean, uh, uh, Miller's Crossing has a bigger budget and it's more ambitious, but as a story, I much prefer this film. Um, yeah, I think this. I mean, they were just you know masters of cinema, like right from the get go. Yeah. yeah, they they. The Coens know what they're doing. Yes. Um, so if you have not seen Blood Simple, I highly suggest it. It lives up. Um, still very watchable. You know, there's a lot of movies that come out from 1984 that date. I don't think this one does. I think you could watch this one right next to to No Country and Fargo, and it would totally make sense. Totally. I, ha- I actually had no idea when this came out because it... I mean, and that's the thing about the Coen brothers, too. They they do this thing where their stuff has a timeless quality to it because their stuff is so specific and nuanced that it, a lot of it feels sort of out of time anyway. Right. Um, and even this, which is, you know, they're not they're not necessarily implying any like weird um time settings you know like it's not like oh brother we're out there where it's like a period piece or anything but just the way they shoot and and tell a story it has a timeless quality to it um right and of course it's evoking film noir so it and the 80s were you know really was like the decade of the neo-noir they they started in the 70s with stuff like taxi driver but but you know in the 80s you get Blood Simple and Blue Velvet and Blade Runner and uh, yeah. yeah, Body Heat and just all of these movies, that, and, you know, all the way down to Who Framed Roger Rabbit. 
Totally. In, <clears throat> in fact, when did Blue Velvet come out? Around the same time. Maybe a year later or... Uh, looks like Blood Simple was 84 and Blue Velvet was... 85? 86. 86, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because again, I just... I... I, I Felt, I felt this weird parallel with David Lynch in this movie. Um, and that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. Hey, this is Future Cassidy, discovering that we forgot to uh, announce the next streaming homework, which we did discuss before we started recording, but completely forgot to uh, announce here at the end of the program. Um, Keith has assigned both of us to watch the Christmas classic Mixed Nuts, which is available on Tubi. Well, cool. that is it for the episode. And if anybody has anything to say about any of the movies or shows or what have you that we talked about in this episode um, or past, you can contact us at our email at mcguffinpod at gmail.com. Follow us on Facebook if for whatever reason you still have Facebook at facebook.com slash mcguffinpod. Um, you can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter at, at MacGuffinPod. That's where we post some of our new episodes, stories, things like that. Um, you can also hit up those, those DMs if you have a direct question you want to ask or something like that. Um, you can follow me individually on Twitter and Instagram at VCCassidy. Uh, and be sure to check out the other articles and reviews at the MacGuffin's webpage at MacGuff.in. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Keith Foster Kid. You can also check me out on Instagram at Keith Foster Kid. Uh, I also have an art account uh, at Sticky Note Aesthetic, um, on Instagram. Uh, also, uh, I'm going to be doing a thing, uh, participating in a holiday movie calendar thing on instagram um uh i we don't have all the rules flushed out yet um but i it's gonna be like a holiday calendar like movie watch you get certain points for certain movies things um and uh i believe there might be a small prize um mm -hmm. for whoever wins i i don't know i might just be making that up <laughs> so don't hold me to that um, but it would be a lot of fun if you, for the holiday season, since we're all locked up uh, at home, or should be, don't go home. Um, uh, since we're all locked up, you know, I think it'd be really fun if people wanted to play along. So I'll be posting more details about that on Instagram soon. All right. And I think that is going to be the episode. Give me a call whenever you want to cut off my head. I can always crawl around without it. Bye.